We'll turn with me to Luke chapter 17 this morning. We'll take a quick break out of the book of Romans. And um, Time Magazine uh, put out an article back in May 2013. It's called the Me, Me, Me Generation. Millennials are lazy, entitled narcissists who still live with their parents. And then a sub-caption, why they'll save us all. (laughs) And some of the things that came forward in that article about millennials uh, is the incidence of narcissistic personality disorder is nearly three times as high for people in their 20s as for the generation that's now 65 or older, according to the National Institutes of Health. These are some of the uh, statistics that came out of the article. Uh, 58% more college students scored higher on a narcissism scale in 2009 than in 1982. Millennials got so many participation trophies growing up that a recent study showed that 40% believe they should be promoted every two years regardless of performance. They are fame obsessed. Three times as many middle school girls want to grow up to be a personal assistant to a famous person as they want to be a senator, according to a 2000 survey. Four times as many would pick the assistant job over a CEO of a major corporation. And they're so convinced of their own greatness that the National Study of Youth and Religion found that the guiding morality of 60% of all millennials in any situation is that they'll just be able to feel what is right. And you know, it's, a, it's interesting. I don't want to pick on millennials. That's, uh, they're an easy target right now. There's a lot of these kind of statistics out there. But, you know, what's, what's interesting about what we see here, and I don't think it's new to any generation of people, is that we have a tendency to be self-focused. That's, I think, the understatement of the century. We, we tend to view life in, the, in view of the lens of the two-foot circle that I can draw around my feet And that circle represents the center of our universe. And that's typically how many of us think. And that's why I think when you're looking at this idea of being thankful, many of us just don't know how to be thankful. And I know it was describing just the basics of life that we're ungrateful for. Um, It reminds me of of a funny story of two men who were walking in an open field in Texas one day and as they walked around the corner of a tree, they they encountered an enraged bull. Now, they had not upset the bull, but the bull was upset before they got there. And as the bull turned its head, locked eyes with the men, they knew they better get out of there in a hurry. And so they turned to run and they looked for the nearest fence possible and they were running at full speed. The bull was catching ground. And one guy who was terrified shouted to the other, "Um, put up a prayer, John, we're in for it. We're not going to make it. And John said, I I can't. I've never made a public prayer in my life. And his friend said, but you got to. Uh, The bull's catching up to us. You got to say something. And so John said, okay, the only prayer I know, it's the one my father used to repeat at the table. Oh, Lord, for what we are about to receive, make us truly thankful. (laughs) And, you know, it just illustrates sometimes we wouldn't know how to be thankful if it hit us in the face or if it hit us in another body part, we still wouldn't know how to be thankful. And so we have this illustrated really well for us today in our story that we're going to pick up in Luke 17. Mark had read it earlier, but let's fly through that and then we'll come back and put some details to the story. But verse 11 of Luke 17 reads this, Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. 
Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off, and they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And so it was, as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned with a loud voice, glorified God, fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way, your faith has made you well. And so this is a familiar story to, to many of us, but um, in, in verse 11, we've got to get a couple of uh, items of context. You know, the Samaritans were outcast, and so when that verse tells us that Jesus was passing through the midst of Galilee, no big deal. That's, that's kind of commonplace. But the second he introduces this word Samaria, we've, get this, we've got to get this cultural understanding of why that was a big deal, because the Jews despised the Samaritans. And in fact, they thought they were uh, just a, a, a mongrel half-breed of Jew-Gentile. And this, this type of feeling went back centuries because um, all the way back when the Assyrians captured and, and terminated the Norman, northern kingdom of Israel in 722, um, what they had done is they had deported substantial citizens and then they had imported some of their own citizens back into that northern tribe. And so what ended up happening is, is their people began to marry and enter Enter, uh, intermarry with the remaining Jews. And so what ended up happening is they led the Jews into worship of their gods. And they became this, this uh, race of people who were known as half-breeds, half-Jew, half-Gentile, their own religious worship system. And so Jews of Jesus's day viewed those of Samaria as racial half-breeds and religious compromisers. Wow, what a view. In fact, there were some stories that some Jews so, felt so strongly about this that instead of going straight north through Samaria, many times they would go to the east side of the Jordan River just to avoid going through the country. Not, not everybody did that, but it gives you a perspective. When it, This is a lot more loaded than Jesus just passed through a city. This is, this is pretty big. And we, we see from the story who actually responds to Jesus um, in thankfulness. It's actually the Samaritan. It's actually the Samaritan that does that. But that gives us a little bit of perspective. Now, in verses 12 through 13, we see that he entered this village and he was met by 10 men who were lepers. And it just begs the question, what is leprosy? I mean, we, we read about it a lot in the Bible. We don't really see it in our culture very much. But let me tell you a little bit about leprosy just to give you a, a perspective on how awful this disease was. Um, it begins with specks on the eyelids and on the palms gradually spreading over the body, bleaching the hair white wherever they appear, and then crusting the affected parts with white scales and causing terrible sores and swellings as, as if that wasn't bad enough. You know, white, you know, specks that, that develop into terrible sores and turn all the hair on your body white where it touches. It, this disease from the skin, it would eat inward to the bones. It would rot the whole body one piece at a time. It would eat through nerves. And you'd see that, that um, and we'll read in this next description, that many people who were lepers would lose feeling sensation in their bodily extremities. And so they might be over here and just, just rubbing against this, uh, this piece of wood and not realize that they're rubbing against a knife and, and literally lose fingers because they can't feel what's going on in their extremities. Uh, as this form began to spread, portions of the eyebrow may disappear uh, and then spongy tumor-like swellings appear on the face and body. 
The disease is systemic and involves the internal organs as well. It's deep-seated in the bones, joints, and marrow of the body, resulting in the deterioration of the tissues between the bones. The results are deformity, loss of feeling in the appendages and in the fingers and toes, eventually falling off. That was very, uh, a very well-recounted thing that would happen. Fingers and toes would fall off. This form is incurable, and it lasts until the victim finally dies, often by the invasion of other diseases because of the weakened condition. They may live for 20 or 30 years in this miserable condition. That paints the story of these 10 men. And not only that, but this disease was um, contagious at certain points. And so they, they became outcasts in the community overnight when they were diagnosed. And so these men come to Je- came to Jesus. Why wouldn't they? <laughs> they? They had no other hope. They had just been condemned to a death sentence that they could not be healed from. In fact, news of his miraculous ability, speaking of Jesus, had to heal diseases had spread. In fact, we know by this account, he had actually healed a leper. He had, in fact, we know by this, the time of this account, he had healed many lepers. And why this is so unique is because you know that no Jewish person in the history of the Old Testament was ever healed of leprosy? Nobody. And here's what's crazy about that as you, as you look about that particular fact is there was a, an entire chapter in the Bible, in the Old Testament, that gave people uh, an understanding of what you were to do when you were healed of leprosy. Leviticus 14, if I'm not mistaken. I've got, I'll bring that out later, but Leviticus 14. And let's just say Leviticus 14 had a lot of dust on it by this time in history. Nobody had gone to Leviticus 14. That was like the missing chapter in the Old Testament because it was a whole chapter detailing what you needed to do if you were healed from leprosy, what were the following steps? No one had used it. Now, there was one example of someone being healed of leprosy in the Old Testament, but it wasn't a Jewish person. It was a Gentile person, Naaman the leper, Naaman the Syrian. We, we find that um, during the ministry of the prophets. And so we know from this point in time, Luke 7, tells us this. He gives, a, gives it in the plural as he's telling and convincing John the Baptist that he is indeed the Messiah that they were to be looking for. Jesus said to them, go and tell John these things that you have heard, that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers, plural, are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them, etc. And so we see that if anybody in the world at this time could heal, leprosy was Jesus. In fact, these men may, may have thought, he'll, he'll never be this way again. He may never come through our town again. We may never see him again. This is our last chance. But notice they had to stand afar off. The reason they were standing afar off uh, was simply they had to. <laughs> that was the societal norm. They couldn't come close. In fact, um, extra biblical sources tell us that if they were downwind from somebody or someone was downwind from them, they had to stay back 250 feet for fear that the wind or the air would take some of that contagion and, and put it onto somebody else. Now, if, they were, if someone was upwind from them, they could get as close as 10 feet. But that's, that's still quite a distance. That's not, that's not an intimate nearness there. And so they're calling from afar off, uh, the scriptures tell us, because they had to stay back. And, you know, what's interesting is we can see these, these men's lives were desperate. Their lives, in all practicality, were over the moment they were diagnosed with leprosy. 
it was a sure death sentence. No one got healed from this. And, and not only that, but you suffered mightily. It was eating away from the outside in, getting into your organs and, and, and deforming your face. We know that this disease immediately severed you from your family. Totally changed and in one instance, took you away from your family. They could no longer interact with you. You lost your job. You lost any way to make a living. No one would let you close enough to actually have you do something that you could be paid. You lost all of your friends. You were totally uh, lonesome and had to develop a new set of friends. And you know what? If, it, if, you know, if you'd have lost your truck and your dog, this could have been a country song. I mean, that's it, literally. They could have taken this and, and made the lyrics to, to a country song in this way. And, um, but here's this, here's this man named Jesus. Um, he shows up. You, they've heard about him. And now they say, he's our only hope. He, he's the only one that can do something about this, the question would, would be, is he going to do for me what he's done for others? Is there a chance? I, they still don't know for sure. Uh, you know, Jesus didn't heal everybody during his time. He didn't rid the world of disease. And so there was some sort of selection process. They, they didn't care. They got close enough to, to get into ear range of him to just give it a shot. This is my last chance. This is my last hope. And so they had one shot get into hearing range, and hopefully belt out something that would get his attention, cause him to respond, and so they go for it. They say in verse 13, they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And I love what verse 14 says. Jesus sees them. He obviously hears them. He locates them, and he sees them. He takes time (laughs) out of his busy schedule to look at these outcasts, these worthless members of society, according to people, and he, he sees them. In fact, apparently they were close enough where Jesus heard these men cry out to him, and he located them from distance. Now, we don't get insight in this account how Jesus felt. It's, in fact, it's a very just straightforward account. He, he saw them, and then he said to them, go show yourselves to the priest. And it almost looks like he's blowing them off, Right? Yeah, okay, yeah, just go to the priest. It almost looks like he's blowing them off, but he's not doing that. In fact, it's interesting because in Mark's account of another healing of a leper, we see that that Jesus is described as being moved with compassion. And, And that's one of those English phrases that doesn't do justice to the Greek phrase because the Greek phrase literally means bowels or guts, like he was moved from his guts. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been so emotionally affected by something that you feel it in your stomach. Maybe it's butterflies or just a gut reaction. And this is what Jesus felt for this leper that he heals in Mark. And you know what? The text also tells us that Jesus touched him. Now, you don't touch lepers. <laughs> that, you don't touch lepers. You don't even get close to them. But you know what? Jesus touches lepers. That's, that's the kind of savior that we have. He touches lepers. He cares about the outcasts of society. And so we, we don't get that here in Luke. He's not describing how he's feeling, but we know that Jesus was moved from his gut, touched a leper, and healed one in the book of Mark. And, and so the question becomes, why do you tell them to go show themselves to the priest? Well, this is where Leviticus 14 comes in. 
This was an appropriate response according to the Mosaic law for anyone who was healed of leprosy. Like I had mentioned before, this chapter had a lot of dust on it by the time Jesus showed up because nobody had ever even used Leviticus 14 and ever had to utilize it to understand what are the appropriate steps. But part of the appropriate steps was to go show yourself to the priest, allow him to declare you clean, and then offer sacrifices accordingly under the Mosaic law. And so when Jesus tells him to go see the priest, He's basically telling them, guys, you're healed. Go take the journey now. You you guys are healed. And in fact, we see this in verse 15. Because as they went, or at the end of verse 14, and so it was, as they went, they were cleansed. And and, and what happens in verse 15 is, is one of them recognizes this. Maybe He's walking and maybe he feels a little bit more strength in his, in his kneecap. You know, they, you know, remember the disease ate away tissue between your bones, but maybe as he's limping along, he's like, whoa, man, I'm feeling 18 again. You know, like I'm, a, I'm feeling pretty good. And he looks down at his hands and where he had white sores and spots all of his arm, it, it looked normal again. And, and all, the, all the raised uh, pus-filled uh, sacks on his face, they were, they were going back. And he started to feel his skin and, and it felt smooth again. And he said, wait a minute, I'm healed. And so in verse 15, when he saw that he was healed, we see that he returned and with a loud voice glorified God. Verse 16 goes on to tell us, uh, he fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And so Jesus heals this man. And instead of running off, which many of us did, in fact, we don't really know what the other nine did. We, we assume they went to the priest, but we don't know if they went to the priest. In fact, earlier in, in another account, Jesus had healed a leper, and it says specifically he did not go to the priest like he was instructed. He kind of stuck around and was just telling everybody about it. And I, and I can imagine the other nine were just as excited about what had happened, but, but they probably went different directions. They didn't come back to Jesus. And so we find this one man Uh, returning to Jesus. And I want you to notice the change in position that he now has. And uh, back up in verse 12, he was one of the 10 who stood afar off. And in verse 16, where's he at now? He's at his feet. See, he, he understands the change. He understands even the relational change in this setting. And he comes right up to Jesus at his feet. And instead of being far off, he now returns directly in the presence of Jesus. And we want to look at these four responses that the leper had. Number one, uh, we see immediately that he returned. And he returned to the one who had delivered him from, uh, out of his greatest need. Remember, this was a, a death sentence. He, so he returns to the one who had delivered him out of his greatest need. He, he glorifies God. He, he does it, um, the text tells us, with a loud voice. You know, not shy about this. You know, I, if you've ever been out to lunch and sometimes you're like, oh, I don't know if I should pray. I'm a little bit embarrassed. This guy is just through caution and went. He didn't care who heard him because he was so excited about what God had done for him. Something he could never do for himself. Something that no one could do for him, but Jesus did for him. And so he glorifies God for his healing and his cleansing. We see that he came and fell at Jesus's feet and he shows humble reverence for Jesus and worship of him. And then he gave Jesus thanked. The the leper was thankful, which is what we would expect if someone heals you from a life-changing, debilitating disease. For all intents, purposes, his life was back. He had gained back his life. He was 
had lost it in the declaration of this disease, but now he could, if you want to say, he could dream again. And so we, we get Jesus's response. And you know, the irony of this whole situation is not lost on him. And let's look at a couple of ironic signs um, here, just as an introduction, always open and yet they've got closed on the sign. Things I hate, vandalism, irony, and list. And that's ironic that you would put that up on a wall like that. A crock eating a crock. That's very ironic. <laughs> and last one, execution chamber closed for safety reasons. <laughs> it's obviously doing its job the way it's supposed to be doing. But uh, back to our story here. Sorry, I just had to qu- take a quick comic relief. The irony wasn't lost on Jesus, um, nor was his disappointment uh, with the response of the other nine. They, they didn't return to offer thanks. And he's surprised by that. Verse 17, Jesus answered, where were there not 10 clans? Where are uh, the nine? Were there not any who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And you know, here's an interesting thing about the other nine lepers. They believed Jesus. They were healed, but they weren't grateful. See, they still benefited from the healing, but they never came back to give grateful, gratefulness to the Lord. And, you know, we read in, in 2 Timothy 3 that this is going to be indicative of the culture of the last days, according to 2 Timothy. Uh, he lists a whole lot of things that are going to be indicative of the culture. But tucked in there, in between all the rest of them, is this phrase, unthankful. You know, I go back to the, the criticism of the millennial generation. It's, it's not just them, it's us, too. Those of us that aren't in that generation when, when you start to paint that, that two-foot circle around your feet and you think the world revolves around you and that you're entitled to whatever that might indicate because you're the center of the universe, there's a lot of things to be ungrateful for. In fact, we don't see the things to be grateful for. We focus on the things that are really, you know, stubbing our toe in life, so to speak. And so we see that this type of attitude is prevalent. In fact, it reminds me of a story of a man who uh, was saved uh, in Broomfield, Colorado. He was uh, in his vehicle. His vehicle was submerged. And um, instead of being thankful for those, to those who rescued him, he sued them for $500,000. And you know why he sued them was because they didn't rescue him quick enough. That's the type of world we live in. That's the type of unthankfulness uh, that we can even exhibit too. And then notice this. He says, except for this foreigner. In verse 18, were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except for this foreigner? And this comment really leads us to believe that probably some of the lepers that were healed were Jewish people who had a a lot more understanding of what was going on with Jesus than this Samaritan. And yet uh, it shows that sometimes even religion can blind people to the simple aspects of relationship. We see that many times, and it shows that those who sometimes know the most appreciate it the least. You know, as we sit here this morning, uh, just in, in terms of a conclu- some concluding remarks, you know, we love this story, man. I, I love to go through the Gospels because Jesus just emerges as the hero. He's, I mean, he's our hero, guys and gals. I mean, he's, he's something else. I mean, he's something special. And you get this opportunity to just look at him and what he does. I mean, the, the man's incredible. And he's just a, an amazing man. I cannot wait to spend eternity with him. But you know, God has done something much greater than just cleanse these 10 men of leprosy. There, you and I had a bigger problem than leprosy. It was called sin. 
And, and see, this same Jesus who years later did something even more incredible than what we read about here, and that is he willingly went to the cross and died for your sins in your place as your substitute. You say, well, what's the big deal? Well, see, God, God requires death from sin. Sin is, is, the, is the result, or death is the result of sin. That's the penalty that hangs overhead. And this same man, Jesus, willingly went to the cross to pay that penalty for you and I, to take care of your sin problems so that you would never have to pay the penalty for your sins. See, that's, that's the beauty of the gospel. But it doesn't stop there because Jesus didn't stay dead. God raised him from the dead. He, he, he brought him back to life three days later after he was buried to convince you and I that he is someone worthy to trust, that he did in, indeed accomplish what he set out to do, that when he said it is finished, he was talking about the penalty for sin. He paid it all. That means there's nothing left for you to pay if you'll simply trust in Jesus and his finished work for you to save you from your sins. But it gets even better because the other thing that you and I lack to get to heaven, we, we had this debt that we needed to pay. Well, Jesus paid that debt. But you know, you have to have a righteousness equal to God's to get to heaven. Now, that's really difficult when you put yourself up against the Ten Commandments because you and I ain't got it, period. Not even on your best day, you ain't got it. Not even on my best day, I, I ain't got it, right? None of us have it. That's, that's the whole point. That's the good news of the gospel because this same Jesus now becomes our righteousness in the sight of God. So not only did he take care of our death penalty, he becomes our righteousness and God takes care of the sin problem just as easy as he took care of this leprosy issue that nobody else could take care of. And we've got an awesome God. And let me close with this story. It's um, as best I can tell, it's a true story, but it really sheds light on this, this aspect of being thankful to the Lord. For, for if nothing else, the fact that he died for your sins and rose again, along with everything else that we have. But years ago in Germany, a young man lay upon the operating table of a hospital. A skilled surgeon stood near. Uh, a group of students were around, and he bent over to the patient. And he said, my friend, if you wish to say anything, you now have the opportunity, but I must warn you that your words will be the last words that you will ever utter. You see, he had cancer of the tongue. Think well, therefore, what you wish to say. You can readily imagine that such a statement at such a time would give pause to anyone. The young man therefore waited, apparently lost in deep thought, a deep uh, solemnness settled over the faces of the onlookers. What words would he choose for such an occasion? The students bent eagerly forward, some time passed, and then the lips at last parted, and at the sound of his voice, you could have seen tears swim in the eyes of those presents. Thank God, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. May Jesus be exalted in our thinking. May he become uh, our true hero uh, as we walk uh, this life. And Lord, as we take time this, this week uh, as a culture to, to celebrate and to give thanks, uh, Lord, we've got a lot to be thankful for. And uh, we, may you remind us of that. May we just rest and enjoy and uh, rejoice in what Jesus has done for us and who he is for us, even as we live life. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.